I'll tell you where to turn to in a minute. First of all, just something to share with you. And then I've got it on tape for anyone who's not here who can't, doesn't mean able to uh, be here for whatever reason or they're out the back, they can listen to this later. Just to set the scene, explain a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. You may be aware that something has been bubbling away with regards to venue, secretly banging on about it. Um, it is still happening, but there's just been a delay. So just wanted to let people know, rather than trying to guess and hearing weird stuff from the grapevine, this kind of thing, we're not telling you just to be secret. We're not not telling you just to be secretive. We're trying to honour the other people we're negotiating and talking to at the moment. We do believe we've got a place. We do believe God has spoken. We also believe, actually, now we realise He's spoken to us about there being a delay, which has happened. So we're hoping to be able to explain more next month. Just so you know. So we're being we're keeping it under our hats just to honour the, the t- kind of the two parties that are involved that we're talking to or are related to this at the moment. We, we are certain it's ours. It's a case of when and how. Okay, so at some point you'll be hearing about it more in detail. We'll have photos up on the screen, etc., etc. We'll have a big Sunday to talk all about it and uh, talk about all the details surrounding that. But just so you know, we're not being awkward or weird or keeping it to ourselves for no reason. It's, we want to honour well the people we're talking to about it. Okay, is that fair? Just, I thought it was fair just to let you guys know about that. In the meantime, can you pray for us? And can you pray for the situation? Just pray that God will oil the cogs well. Uh, we want to do this well, but we also want to get in there. <laughs> so it's, it's a case of nagging and being pushy, but in an honourable, godly way, rather than just a naggy, pushy way. We want to do it well, don't we? So uh, we trust God's timing for it. We believe it is... God has, we believe God has said it's ours, but is not ready for us yet. It's kind of the sense we're getting prophetically. And again, part of the story, when we get to tell you, I'll explain all those prophecies as well. Okay? So, please pray for us. Please pray for behind the scenes. Please, please pray that actually the 11th of March, I can tell you all about it. How's that? 11th of March will be lovely for Vision Sunday. I don't want to put it off again. So, uh, let's see what God does. I'm convinced he's in it. In the meantime, I want to speak about something uh, from Joshua chapter 23. Can we have the slide up, please, Paul? Joshua chapter 23. It's going to be the whole chapter. And so as a church, we are sensing this year we'll hold new territory. That's what we feel we're step back to step into, seeing God's promises unfolding for us further as a church. And while growth and changes can be exciting and scary and adventurous. It's going to take something from us to step into it. We must also bear in mind while we do that, while we look ahead to what's coming up next, we do need to bear in mind the need to keep our eyes on the one whom this is all about. It's easy, as we've said before, it's easy to get excited about the stuff and forget the God who gives it. And that's what I want to talk about in a different way um, this morning. While we enjoy the growth and the good things that are yet to come, let's just take a moment just to do a heart check. It's always good for, on a regular basis, to be honest. And the story of God's people throughout history is still just as relevant to us, God's people, in 2018. They may have had swords and sandals back then, but we have battles of a different kind. But the principle of God's kingdom advancing is still an eternal one. It's still happening. It just looks slightly different. Although some of us do still have the sandals. Um, so just to set the context for this chapter, chapter 23, it happened, this is three, three and a half thousand years ago. Okay, God's people have been set free from Egypt, 
released from slavery and in an amazing, miraculous way. If you haven't read it, read, read through Exodus, end of Genesis into Exodus, just an amazing story. And they end up in the wilderness for 40 years. Finally, they arrive at their promised land. And that's what happens during the book of Joshua when they start taking the land. And Joshua is uh, the successor to Moses. Moses led the people out of Egypt. Moses is his, is his successor, is Joshua. And this is the guy we're going to hear speaking in this chapter. And he's talking to the, uh, the people of Israel, particularly to, through the leaders. Let's just read through the chapter, see what he says, and then we'll find out what it means to us. So it says, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and he said to them, I'm now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West, that's the Mediterranean. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or may make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling, it's an important word, you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling, there it is again, to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But... Just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Let me just pray. Lord, this is your word. And your word is eternal. Your, your word has eternal consequence, significance, impact. And Lord, may you have impact on our hearts today. May we hear from you as individuals. May we hear from you as your people gather together as Beacon Church. Lord, speak to us, we pray. And help us to not walk away from here unchallenged, but help us to walk away from here knowing in your strength what needs to be done. We just ask, you're a good God. And you want the best for us, and we trust that. So come and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here's Joshua, 
the leader, speaking to God's people, and he's reminding them, you're at rest. You've been through a lot, and you're at rest now. And he reminds them what God has done already. He said, the Lord, verse 9, has driven out before you great and strong nations. God's done it. God did the hard work. Just initially, let's just part that for a moment, that's the same starting place for us. Same starting point for us. Jesus has already won the battle. Jesus has driven away sin and death before us. And we are safe and secure in him. We get to join in and enjoy the spoils of war. That's what it means to be a Christian in many ways. But Joshua is then saying to God's people, there's still more to come. It's the same for Christians. When you become a Christian, you haven't got your ticket to heaven. I'm all right, Jack. I'll sit here and wait. There's more to come. There's still work to do. God driving out nations before us, but he wants to use us at the same time. So in verse 5, Joshua says to Israel, The Lord your God will push them back before you, these other nations, and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land. They're there, but they haven't taken it all yet. There's still more work to do. So Israel are at rest after much advance and victory, but there's more ahead. And so Joshua is therefore giving them warnings. Because the thing is, is we can learn from watching God's people throughout history so often and so easily things can turn sour because of simple complacency or willful choices. I'm sure none of God's people back in the day kind of decided to become complacent. It wasn't their heart initially, was it? Or even, no, we're going to be downright rebellious at the time. That wasn't their heart. That's where things led. Especially after all the miracles he performed among them. We do see the moaning in the wilderness after all he's done. But none of it was necessarily outright willful to start with. It festers, starts off with a little splinter of something, doesn't it? And these are the things we need to look out for. And it still happened. They still did. They did become complacent and they did become rebellious. Because at some point, the routines of life, the mundane creeps in, doesn't it? Over time. Or, or even frustration and impatience take hold because we don't see things from God's perspective. I can put my hand up to that. And that's when our hearts can become vulnerable. That's when our hearts can become open to other voices or other loves. And that's why I just want to look at three options. We can rebel, we can compromise, or we can embrace God's will for our lives. That's what I want to look at. And we can see this happening over and over again in Israel's history, also in the church history, over the centuries, even up to and including today around the world, some parts of the church. Compromise or rebellion. It does happen. So let's just look at those. I'm going to look at rebel briefly because I think it's quite obvious what it means. We don't need to pick it apart too much. But then we'll spend more time on the word compromise. Rebel first. God is, while absolutely he is good father, and Jesus made that very clear, he is a good dad. But nevertheless, he is also unwaveringly holy. His favour is ours to receive. It's a free gift. But we must never diminish him in our eyes and think of him as of anything less than utterly perfect and therefore that brilliant goodness demands justice and consequence to our selfishness that's what it means for him to be a holy god he is so utterly perfect he can't not act in in complete justice and sometimes we can take that kind of thing for granted and so in verse 16 when uh, Joshua is saying to God's people, yeah, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods, bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled 
against you. That's not legalism necessarily. That's not outright rules, do's and don'ts. That's about a rejection of God's good grace. That's a rejection and a spurning of their first love. Isn't it? Do you see that? They're turning away from him. It's not just about what they're turning to. That's bad, don't touch. They're turning away from something that's utterly, perfectly, eternally good. That puts a whole new spin on it, doesn't it? And he is a God who, by very nature, has to act justly. The question is whether the consequence of that rebellion will fall on our heads or whether, by acceptance of the free gift on offer, we recognise it's already fallen on Jesus' head 2,000 years ago. Which option do you want? God is good. God is gracious. God is just. And as weak or even as vile as we may be as human beings, he is always, he was always quick to run to embrace those who turn to his freedom and his mercy. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of what Jesus has done. That's the good news of how good this Father is, who is unwaveringly holy and just. Yet when we want to turn to him, he's willing to run and pick us up. But he still remains eternally holy. We must not forget that. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, he says, just as God's promises are not a fool's paradise, so his threats are not empty bugbears. We do need to take them seriously. He is a forgiving God. And once you're his, you're always his. You can't lose that relationship. When you belong to him, you always belong to him. He's a forgiving God and his forgiveness is available to you right now if you don't know that. Speak to him. But don't for a minute assume you don't need him. Because one day, that kind of long-term rejection will dictate your eternity. This is a holy God and rebellion is a serious matter. I'm going to leave that there because I think the rest of it is quite obvious. But the word I want to focus on most for us as Beacon really is, is the word compromise. Just because I sense it as a challenge to me than anyone else. Because I suggest the greatest challenge to most of us from this passage is realising the existence of our blind spots. The places where we compromise. And the trouble with blind spots is we don't see them. We're blind to those spots, aren't we? We need them pointed out, <laughs> and they often tend to be outright obvious <laughs> when they're being pointed out to us, aren't they? If we're willing to listen. Reality sometimes is staring us in the face. We just don't see it. We're blind to it. There's a lovely story about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. They went on a camping trip. And after a good meal and a bottle of wine, they settle in for the night and they go to sleep. And some hours later, Sherlock Holmes wakes Watson up. He goes, Watson, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. So Watson goes, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes is going, so what does that tell you? And Watson ponders for a minute and he goes, well, astronomically, that means there's millions and millions of galaxies and potentially billions and billions of planets. And horologically, I deduce that the time is quarter past three in the morning. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant meteorologically I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow why Holmes what does it tell you and Holmes says Watson you idiot someone has stolen our tent <laughs> sometimes the obvious can be staring us in the face we must face up to reality and we need help to see it sometimes don't we Israel <laughs> Israel are being presented with the cold reality that they could die out that's what Joshua's saying. That's what God's saying through Joshua. Observers of modern Western churches 
So that the average lifespan of a local church is 70 years. Same lifespan as a human being. On average, local churches in the modern Western world only last some decades. And that is, it is also extremely rare for a dying church to turn around because the rot set in. It's very, very rare for that to happen. There's, there's a number of... There's a guy called Barner and other people who study over the years. This is what they've observed. And the most common reasons is just worth listening to and being aware of. I'm not saying this is happening here, but we need to be aware of it in case there are blind spots. The most common reasons for this, lack of mission. An inward focus rather than an outward focus, thinking we're here for us rather than we're here for others. When that sets in, that can start bringing the rot in and ultimate death. It does happen. Another reason could be um, seeing society as an enemy rather than an opportunity. Seeing society as an enemy rather than an opportunity. Jesus tells us to love others. Love God, love others. Go and make disciples. Go into all the world. That's what he tells us to do. And we can see society as a bit of them and us. That's dangerous. That's not how Jesus viewed it. I'll talk about some of this a little bit later. Seeing society as an enemy is rather than an opportunity sets the rot into a church. Another one, these are just really helpful to know for all of us. Diluting doctrine to appease others, appease the world. There are a number of churches and movements that dilute their doctrine. They soften what they see the Bible saying or they convince themselves it doesn't say something just to soften the blow and to be more acceptable to the people around them. That's when the rot sets in. If we believe... God's word says something, we need to stand by it because it's God who says it, even if people hate us for it. We need to accept that. Diluting doctrine sets the rot in. Another one, internal conflict. When we're so bent on jostling for position or gossiping or tearing other people down. I, I, don't, I don't really see that here, but we just need to be aware this is, this is an issue in other churches sometimes. I, I do know of other churches where it happens. And people, guests, visitors, they get a sniff of it, even if they can't put their finger on it or actually say, I see internal conflict. They just get a, there's something not right. People spot it. Another one, a couple more. Turning a blind eye to sin. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he's saying there is outright it's outright blatant sin going on and you're, just, you're not even turning a blind eye to it. You're just shrugging your shoulders about it. Get it out. Remove that man until he's repentant because otherwise it will spread like yeast and the rot will set in. Turning a blind eye to sin can kill a church. And prioritising comfort. I talked about comfort zones a couple of weeks. If we prioritise comfort, it comes back to not being on mission and things like that. While comfort is a good thing for rest and recuperation, I'm not saying otherwise, spending too much time there can weaken our resolve when the trials come. We can be weaker as a result. And we can be, it can be too much of an allure when God is asking us to take steps of faith into the unknown. I'd rather stay here. When God is calling a church to move on into the next thing he's prepared for them, when we refuse because we're comfortable, the rot sets in. Just need to be aware of that. I think that's one for us for the next few weeks and months, possibly. I'm sure we Beacon don't want to be one of those statistics. I would like to think that Beacon is here in 100, 200 years' time if Jesus hasn't come back. I don't want to think Beacon only has 50 years on average left. Goodness, no. We just need to be aware of these things. And again, I don't think there's a major issue. We just need to be aware of them with our eyes wide open, keep them on the radar at all times. 
But this danger of weakening is also an issue for us as individuals within the church, in our own hearts. See, the message here, when Joshua is talking to God's people, saying, don't marry with the other nations, the message here, the overall biblical message, when we put that in context, is not saying, don't have anything to do with the world. I've already just mentioned that. We need to be on mission, we need to love others. What it's effectively saying is, don't cheat on God with other lovers. It's effectively what he's saying. There's the famous Christian quote, we are not of the world, or is that we're, we're in the world but not of the world. You won't find that in the Bible. It's actually slightly different. In John chapter 17, what Jesus actually says, he doesn't say we're in the world but not of the world. He says, they're not of the world but I'm sending them into it. It's very, very different. To say in the world but not of the world says we mustn't touch, we must wear rubber gloves in case we get stained, keep away. But Jesus saying, we're not of this world, we belong somewhere else now, we're heavenly people. But he's sending us into the world to love it, to be on mission, to share God's love and to point the way. He's saying we may belong somewhere else, but we've got a job to do. We are compelled to get stuck in, to roll our sleeves up, to get our hands dirty in some sense. Still doesn't mean sinning, it just means embracing the call to get involved. Love those around you. Jesus never sinned. And yet he stepped in, rolled his sleeves up, and he got involved, didn't he? Who did he hang out with? Prostitutes, liars, thieves, connivers, the weak, the manipulative. And those are just his disciples, pretty much. <laughs> it's true. Some of them were. It's possible to enter into the world around us and both love others like he does, enjoy its fruits, and remain honouring to him at the same time. We can do that. Otherwise he wouldn't tell us to. He wouldn't tell us to do the impossible, would he? The issue here is compromise. It's about marrying the world, about having devotion to another. That's the issue here. We as God's people are now married to Christ. So that means that wherever we go, and whatever we do, he is our first love. But do we always act like that? Is the question. Well, I have some great platonic friendships with other women. Really good friends. I've got, we've got one friend, our friend Joe. We do lots together. She's a good friend of mine. Jenny's got good platonic friendships with some of our male friends. We've got good, deep, close relationships. We can share our lives together. And they're healthy relationships but the moment one of those relationships was ever to start eclipsing our relationship mine and Jenny's relationship together it's a danger zone which is why Jenny and I do we do talk about these things and ensure our marriage is number one at all times while retaining healthy friendships too it's the same with God and his people so he's saying in this passage he's saying live in this land let my kingdom come make advance play a part enjoy its fruits just don't turn back and cling to those other lovers, don't cheat on me. It's different. While the pretty shiny things around us can be enticing, to cling to them, that word again, to cling to them would be warning signs of our love for our king having drifted. If they start eclipsing our first love, we're having an affair, effectively. Do you see, the, see what's happening? None of us are immune. It can be out of ignorance, clinging to something and feeling safe and then realising it's the wrong thing. 
You know about trying to cling to, cling to a parent when you're feeling a bit unsafe, insecure. You remember, do you ever the time when you're growing up and you're in a big, busy place and you're feeling, I need my mum. Maybe you've gone shopping with mum in a big department store and it's all really busy and there's lots of great things to see but it's also a bit scary and there's a crowd and there's strangers around you you just sense your mum next to you and you, cl- you cling, to a, cling to a leg to feel safe. You feel safer when you're clinging to mum. And then you look up and it's not your mum. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Sometimes you can feel safe on clinging to mum you don't actually realise you're clinging in the wrong place. Is it just me? Have I, I'm the only one who's done that. Not recently. <laughs> or have I? No. It's the same. For example, we can think we're clinging to the right thing, clinging to church. Clinging to church is not clinging to God. Just saying. It's different. Just got to be careful who we're clinging to. We're, what is, our fir- is our first love church or is our first love Jesus? It's a big question, isn't it? How do we find our blind spots? Here's some questions that might help. Where do you hide when you're tired? Where do you hide when you're tired? Where do you go when you're angry? Where do you hide when you're tired? Where do you go when you're angry? Here's another one, though, in a different situation. What are you like in private when everything's running smoothly? It can still be a danger zone. We can let things drift, can't we? We can end up clinging to the wrong things. For all of us, there are aspects of our old lives that we can still desire and we can still be lured by. Whether it's secret sin, whether it's making remarks about others so you look better, whether it's avoiding responsibility whether it's apathy, whether it's being ruled by money. It can be a number of things. I'm not going to list everything. It can just go on forever. But I'll just trust Holy Spirit, if necessary, is prompting something in some of us, if not all of us. None of those things honour God and they can all entice us. But you are not alone. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a passage that helps here. 1 Corinthians 6. And verse 9, Paul says to the Corinthian church, the same one I was talking about earlier. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And it's obvious to therefore be thinking on the back of that, well, yes, I recognise this, of course I'll embrace God's way for my life. This, I mean, this list, you may not find yourself on that list, but there's plenty of other lists that are related, we'll find ourselves on the list somewhere. This is, this is actually a message for all of us. Remember what you used to be like, that's the old life, and sometimes it's tapping on the shoulder going, don't worry, go back to the old ways. Go and play with the shiny things you used to play with that don't honour God, it won't matter. You still get those voices, don't we? And of course, we could be thinking, reading this here now on a Sunday morning, yes, I'll embrace God's way for my life. He shall be my number one. And of course, for those of us who are his people, we probably have all shouted that from the rooftops at various points in our lives. Again and again, haven't we? More than once. Who has been able to live up to that unwaveringly ever since? No hands. 
the reality is, all of us, while not necessarily outright rebellious, we can all still too easily let our eyes and our hearts wander. But thankfully, God is the faithful one. He's the one who never lets go. And Paul continues, straight after that sentence, but you were washed, you were sanctified, it's made holy, you were justified, set right, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then coming on down to verse 19 into 20, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He's not saying, do all the good things. It's just remember who you are. Remember what he's done for you. Now, therefore, live a certain way. Forget, forget in the past and moving on into the future in new life. It's in the same way. God's people under the law were warned from clinging to other lovers. And we can still be in danger of doing the same thing. But when we remember that we are washed clean, we are set apart, we are made right by Jesus, that's the key. That's the key. That helps us cling to him because we realise it's not about rules. It's about affiliation. It's about affection. It's about devotion. It's about relationship. We are new creations in him. It makes it easier to cling to him when we remember who we are and what he's done. I love the word cling. Psalm 63, verse 8. David says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. That indicates that actually David's clinging to God isn't what's never going to let go. Because even if David stops clinging, God's hand is right, right hand is upholding him. It's still based on God's strength, isn't it? But he says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. This is clinging, this is love, first love. And then in the book of Ruth, it's a beautiful love story, just a few chapters in the Old Testament, not far after Joshua. There's a story about um, Ruth, who is not one of God's people. She's married one in a foreign land who has died, and she follows her mother-in-law back to the, back to the promised land, in fact, back to the homeland. And Naomi is saying to her, go. She says, you don't need to come with me. You go back to your own people, your sister-in-law, whose husband, my other son, has also died. She goes, go back. She's gone back to her people and her gods. But the word it uses there is where it says, Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth clings to her and she says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. That clinging there is just this beautiful, devotional relationship. It's not based on rules. It's not based on duty. It's about relationship. So I'll simply ask, what will it be? Just like the people of Israel, we've been on pause in some way as a church. We've had a time of rest. We've been in the same place for a while. Those of us that have been here at 9am every Sunday might not feel it's been a rest. But effectively we have. We're just God's setting the scene for the next phase, the next season. After much advance and, and hard work, we've had the privilege of playing a part in. We know that there's still more ahead. There's the next step. Do we want to see this town turned upside down for Jesus? Do we want to see the gates of hell fall away in Herne Bay as Jesus' church advances? Yes, praise God. Will we let him work through you? There's a question. Ah. Will you let him work through you?
God's promises are amazing. In this Joshua 23, verse 10, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. It's not one of, one of you puts to flight a thousand because you're the Hulk. It's because the God fights for you. We need to remember who we are as we step out, as we step into the opportunities he's preparing for us. We need to remember who's doing the fighting, who's doing the hard work. And let's cling to him. What is God saying to you right now about this? What is he prompting in you? Because we can pay this lip service. We can agree consciously with a principle, but then doing so and not being willing to do anything about it is the same as just shrugging our shoulders at God. It's a big challenge, isn't it? So let's just allow him to speak to us and to help us respond. We're going to sing a song in a minute if the rest of the band want to come back up. We're just going to sing a song, Draw Me Close to You. But as we sing this song, let's just take a moment. And we're going to have to do it again in the future as well. I know what we're like, we're humans. But it's a helpful moment for us just to stand before God and say, you're my first love. I want to cling to you. To be God's people means to be the apple of his eye. The question is, is he ours? Let's just sing a song. Thank you.